Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email we send this out once a week it's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online apart from that there is a give button so if you're feeling led you can do that right online through our website you can also find us on facebook and youtube we are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that god's going to do something special in you through today's message enjoy So um, authority, power. You probably look at me and you think a picture of power right here. <laughs> thank you for those that said, yeah, I think it was you, Randy. And, and thank you, Mel, for laughing really hard so that everyone could. <laughs> but this world kind of, it tends to run on authority and power. Is that not what we see? That The whole world kind of established on this in, in many ways. You look at this war that's currently going on. They're fighting over who would have the authority, the power. I actually recently read about a, a police officer that was exercising his authority. Uh, he was sent to search a farm that they had been given a tip that there was an illegal grow up on the property. And so he showed up at this farm and the farmer was actually quite bewildered. He was shocked with uh, what? And, and, and kind of, he says, well, basically, listen, feel free. You can search wherever you want. I got nothing to hide. He says, except don't go into that barn. And, and right then the officer kind of gets pretty angry and kind of fiercely tells him, he says, do you know the power and the authority that I have? And he proceeds to pull out his badge and shows the farmer his badge. You know, he says, Basically tells, this badge gives me the power and the authority to enter any barn, to search anywhere, no questions asked. Do you understand me? Well, the farmer's, you know, just trying to be very polite. I should mention this is an American police officer um, because we've got great Canadian police officers (laughs) that are part of our congregation. They would never do something like that. But anyway, um, and and so so the farmer apologizes. I'm sorry, sir. Yeah, go right ahead. You search. You go wherever you want. He very politely apologizes and goes back to his work. Just about a minute or two later, all of a sudden he hears the screams of this police officer as this officer is running for his life, chased by the most massive bull imaginable, getting closer to this police officer with every step that the officer takes. Well, the farmer sees what's going on and he drops all his tools. He runs to the fence and he just yells out as loud as he can, the badge, show him the badge. Authority, authority can be good when it's used correctly. By the way, by the way, um, I, does anyone know, I, I don't know if you know, what is the highest religious authority among oranges called? Anyone know? The, the pulp. You got it? You got it? Yeah, good. Sorry, I just had to put that one in there. It's, okay, I will stop with all the horrible dad jokes and... Uh, <laughs> We'll move into the, the scriptures because they're much better than my jokes, obviously. Um, this morning, though, we are going to be continuing in our study, the Gospel of Mark. We began last week. We looked at the first 11 verses last week. And this week, why do I speak about authority, about power? Because this week in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see five snapshots. Uh, we, we talked a little bit last week how Mark is like this super rapid, high-paced gospel. It's made for the ADHD. It's made for us, those of us that kind of, you know, our attention span kind of tends to wander. And he's going to show us these five quick snapshots 
of Jesus beginning his ministry, that what they do, though, is they display his authority. They're all to show a picture of his power and his authority, that he has all authority. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you grab that Bible and turn with me this morning to Mark chapter 1. There are Bibles in the seats all around you, okay? So Mark chapter 1, to find the gospel of Mark, just go about near the back of your Bible, Go past, uh, you'll maybe hit Matthew or Luke or John or Acts, something like that. It's kind of stuck right in the middle of there. Um, if you're using the same Bible that I have, which a lot of them in the seats are, it's page 836. Uh, why don't we pray, though, before we look this morning at, he's got the power. I wasn't going to, it's not, I've got the power, he's got the power. So if you remember that, that song. Anyway, let's pray. God, we thank you so much um, that you do have the power, you do have the authority. Lord, we praise, as we sang this morning, we praise your name. Because, God, it means that we can let go of things. We can let go of so much in this life and just trust that you are in control. That, God, as this world rages on with war, that, Jesus, you are still on your throne. And I pray this morning, as we see these pictures and these, these images that Mark paints for us of an authoritative Jesus, that we would submit ourselves to your authority today. And so teach us this morning from your word, I ask. Open our hearts, open our eyes and our minds to receive. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 1, verse 12. The first thing that we're going to see is Jesus display authority over temptation. Authority over temptation. That's the first thing we'll see. Verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, out into the desert, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. So now we're hitting verse 12 because, now this is a trick question, why are we in verse 12 of chapter 1? Because we finished, because it comes after verse 11. And if you remember, verse 11 was the baptism of Jesus. So we go immediately, this is what he actually says, immediately, this is Mark's favorite word, by the way, if you didn't notice, he will use this word, what did I say last week, 36 times, I think, throughout the gospel, over and over again, immediately. So really quick, Jesus is still dripping wet from his baptism, basically, is the picture we get here. And he's immediately tempted. And he goes basically from this absolute spiritual high. We saw last week that it was, he was baptized, and what happened? The heavens, were told, were torn open. And then this dove, the Holy Spirit, a symbol, a picture of the dove, came and descended upon him, empowered him for his ministry. Then not only that, to top it off, the voice of God the Father speaks out from heaven, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. So he goes from this incredible spiritual high to now this incredible extreme testing. 40 days of temptation by Satan. Which I think in many ways, isn't that kind of like real life though too? Right? If you've ever had these extreme highs with Jesus, oftentimes they're followed by extreme temptations or even extreme lows. These kind of real high moments to real low moments. And we saw, you know, we saw last week that Jesus identified with sinful humanity in his baptism And so now we're going to see that he's going to identify with sinful humanity in his temptation. And we need to understand that it wasn't just three temptations. That's how we tend to think of it, because the Gospel of Matthew and Luke both describe the temptation of Jesus with these three specific things that Satan tempted Jesus with. But Mark's Gospel, he he simplifies everything. We saw this last week that his Gospel is kind of like less less, less talk, more action. And so there's very little talk and dialogue that goes on, very, very kind of little snapshots. And so with Mark's gospel, he doesn't mention three temptations. Instead, he uses a, a specific word, the verb being tempted, which speaks of continual. That in the Greek, it's a continual temptation that he was facing from Satan. Satan won't give up, if you know that, if you've ever experienced temptation. Satan doesn't, you know, he's like, I'm going to keep trying. 
And sometimes, you know, sometimes when we read about the temptation of Jesus, we have this idea that it's like, well, you know what? Jesus wasn't really tempted like we are, though. Have you ever thought that or felt that? I mean, let's be honest. We all kind of go, well, he's Jesus, right? Don't you kind of have that feeling sometimes? Well, he's Jesus. He's God. We need to remember that he, yes, was fully God. He had to be fully God to pay the price for our sins. But don't forget that he laid aside his divine rights, his privileges, his powers of, of godhood, if you want to put it that way. Well, he was on the earth. He didn't carry any of that with him. Came fully, we saw last week, as a baby, went through puberty and pimples, the whole works. Faced life just like us. In fact, his temptations, I would say his temptations were probably even worse than the temptations we face. I think his temptation was harder, it was probably more difficult, because if you think about it, when we're tempted, anybody here ever been tempted? There's like six of us that have ever been tempted. The rest of you are not even human. But during our temptations, you know this, when we're tempted, now how many, let's be honest here, how many have ever given into temptation? Oh, there's a little more honesty there. Okay, so some of you are a little more real. When we're tempted, you feel the, 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 the pressure and the crushing weight of the temptation. When you give into temptation, what happens? Is the temptation, is the pressure still there? Is it still there? No, it's gone. Because you gave into it. The temptation, it fades. The, the, the pressure and the, the, the push to do whatever it was that you were tempted to do is all of a sudden released. And it's kind of like a, oh, it's gone. The weight is gone. And oftentimes, you know, we feel pretty rotten after we give in. Maybe for the, the one second you were like, that was great, that was still not worth it. Do you know what I mean? As you give into the temptation, think about Jesus. The weight of the temptation we can experience, we have experienced release with temptation because we've given in. For Jesus, that weight kept piling on and on and on, and he never gave in. He never fell, which means that weight was always there. He never had the release. The pressure would have been, I think, unimaginable. Because of this, Hebrews 4.15 tells us this. It says, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. And you could even say even worse just as we are, yet he did not sin. You see, Jesus knows what it's like. He knows what the temptations are like that you face. He knows worse what it's like. And at the same time, he also knows what it's like to be victorious. You see, uh, verse 13 kind of very subtly kind of tells us that he didn't sin. It goes on to say this, if you read verse 13 now of chapter one. It says, and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now it's interesting, Mark's the only gospel that adds this phrase into the temptation of Christ, and he was with the wild animals. Uh, many, many think that it's to show his victory over sin and temptation, kind of depicting for us basically that he is re regaining dominion over creation. That's what some scholars would kind of point to. You see, the first man, of course, Adam, in the garden, he was tempted by Satan, and he fell. He, under the weight, under the, the crushing weight of the temptation, him and Eve, they fell. And one of the results, there were many results of the sin, of the fall, but one of the results of that fall was that there began to be hostility between man and animals, right? Even think about your domesticated animals. Sometimes my dog growls at me, right? If, if she doesn't want you to pick her up, she'll go, she'll get kind of angry, and she's only like this big, right? But it's, you're still like, okay, okay, right? I don't know how many of you have ever experienced, you know, Lance, you go out sometimes and you hunt like cougars and things, bears, all that kind of stuff. I would not, I, I've, I've told you before about how I've done my night rides on my mountain bike, 
with these headlamps that are like super bright. And the first time I, I shared this, the first I got for Christmas a number of years ago, this really bright headlamp, and I was so excited to give it a go. So it was like, I think, Boxing Day or the day after. And I went on this mountain bike ride in the dark by myself. Stupid. So I go on this mountain bike ride, first time ever riding in the dark, and I start riding up the trail. And as I start to enter the trail, I'm all excited. I'm like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. I see all these light or these eyes staring at me. They didn't move, so I was okay with that. I'm like, I think they're deer. I think they're deer. I think they're deer. I think they're deer. And I just kind of kept pedaling. I came up. But on my way down, on my way down, I, as I'm looking in the bush, I, I can see other eyes looking at me. And then at one point, there's this clearing. And I look, and I see these eyes. And then they stopped, and they moved. And then I saw them pop up again. And, then, and I'm like, I don't think that's a deer. Because deer usually just kind of get stuck in the headlights, you know, and kind of stare at you. And I'm like, is that a cougar? I don't know. But it was like my fastest time ever getting down the hill. Because why? Because we have hostility between humanity and animals, right? There's not a peace between us. And so here, here's the thing. Jesus, they would say, is kind of showing a bit of a preview of his future reign. You know, the Bible actually says that a child will lay with a lion. How many of you have babies, kids, children? Would you let them hang out with a lion? Like, of course not, right? In, 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 when Christ again reigns, his domain is again on this earth, we're told that there will be peace again even between humanity and animals. And he, so, so here's the thing. Christ's authority here shows, shows, first of all, that he knows what it's like when you undergo the weight of temptation. But he also knows how to succeed. He knows how to be victorious when that temptation comes. And that's why you can always go to him for help. You can pour out your prayers to him. Your request, why? Because he sympathizes, as that passage in Hebrews 4 told us. He sympathizes with you. He gets it, and he will always provide a way out. If you are ever tempted, if you are ever tempted, which I'm sure like the six of us this morning are from time to time, there's a great passage of Scripture that will help you with temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's, it's a passage of Scripture I would encourage you to, to memorize, to, to hide in your heart, and, and, and to... to to, to know inside and out, because it tells us about our victory over temptation. I think, do we have it on the slide, 1 Corinthians 10, 13? It says this, says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. The important part of that very first phrase is this, you are not alone in your temptations. And the enemy is going to try to make you feel and think like, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that struggles with this. I'm the only pastor that struggles with this thing. He says, no, no temptation has seized you, has grabbed a hold of you except what is common to man. We all face the same things. Then he goes on to say this, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Isn't that incredible? What an incredible promise. In fact, he doesn't say this, but he says what? He says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can not crushed and fall under it, but stand up under the weight of that temptation. Push it off. He will always give you a way out. You need to know that this morning. And if you've ever faced temptation and been like, I so badly want to do that, you know that if you just pray, if you say, God, I need help, I need a way out, it's like, it's like the temptation's gone even almost. The weight gets lifted in such an incredible way. Jesus has authority over temptation, and he can give you authority over temptation. Well, secondly, we see now Jesus display his authority over teaching and preaching. Look at verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, John the Baptist, who we looked at last week that was the forerunner to kind of prepare the way for Jesus, uh, we're going to see why he was arrested later in chapter 6, so we won't go into details right now. But after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent 
and believe in the gospel. A couple interesting things here to notice. First of all, notice that Jesus begins with preaching. Do you notice that? Jesus began with this message, teaching and preaching the gospel, we're told here. He didn't begin with miracles. He didn't begin with signs and wonders or healings. Preaching was his actual priority. That was the first thing. He didn't open a school or hospital. Those other things would eventually follow. He started with preaching. Why? Because this was how he met the deepest need of humanity. Honestly, the deepest need of humanity is not physical healing. The deepest need of humanity is forgiveness. If you think about it, crime, evil, death, right? Pain, suffering, the wars that we're seeing. It's all a result of sin. It is all a result of sin. So he preached or he proclaimed, as it says here, that God's kingdom, the word kingdom is simply just a, um, what's the, what, what, what do you call that when it's one, two words that you put together? Compound? Okay, there we go. It's a compound word. Okay, there we go. <laughs> King and domain. You put them together and it's kingdom. And he's basically saying this, that the king's domain is now on earth. The king has come. There's a different option for a king. There's a different option for a kingdom than what this world of sin and bondage offers to you. He says that the time is fulfilled. The time, what does that mean? He's basically saying this, that all of what the Old Testament looked towards, it's now, it's here. The time is fulfilled. The time has come. He says it's at hand. Hold up your hand. Take your hand and hold it up. You guys know what a hand is. Put it up. Okay, there we go. Okay, how far away is your hand? It's close, isn't it? You know what he's saying? He's saying the kingdom is right here. That's how close the kingdom of God is. It's as close as your hand. It's near. It's right here. And he's saying if you want to experience God's domain, his rule in your life, you can. Well, how can you experience this? He, he preached how. He said, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. You need both. Here's the, an important thing to remember. We need both. We need to repent. We need repentance, but we also need belief. It's not one without the other. Repent, we talked about this last week. It, it literally means to change your thinking, a change of mind with how you regard or view sin. It's not just saying, I'm sorry for the consequences of what I did, but it's actually going, you know what, that thing is wrong. That's, that's going to destroy my life. That's going to destroy other people's lives. It's not what God would have me live. The direction, it, it, see, a change of mind will always result in a change of direction. And the Lord's direction, the, the direction the Lord wants you to move in is not the same direction that the world wants you to live in. And so he says you need to change that. You need to change the direction that you're going. It's not the way of this world. God's got a new way for you to live. So repentance, he says, change how you're living. But it's not just repentance because if it were just repentance by itself, it, you'd just probably end up feeling all this remorse and sorrow, maybe even guilt. And that's not going to help you. And so he says this, not just repent, but also believe the gospel. The gospel, just simply translated as it literally means good news. And the simplest form of that is just that it's the good news of the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. This says that you can have payment made for your sin and you can experience new life in him. This is the good news that, 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 that Jesus has come, that there's the rule and reign of God that can begin in your life, the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus came to bring God's reign, his kingdom, his, the king's domain, first of all, to the human heart. That's, that's what he came to do. And then one day, hopefully soon, we looked at this in Zechariah, over the entire planet, he will rule and reign. This was the authority of Jesus preaching. He talked about a new king, a new kingdom, a new way to live. And truthfully, wherever a life is being touched by the power of God, there is his kingdom at work. And it's here and it's now and it's beginning all over this valley and all over this world. Thirdly, we see Jesus' authority now over teams. Okay, so temptation, 
teaching and preaching and now teams we see. Look at verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, just, just a little heads up here. We know from John's gospel that this, this was not the first time that Simon, who became Peter, changed his name to Peter, Jesus changed his name later on, that Simon and his brother Andrew had met with Jesus. Sometimes we read the gospels and it sounds like, um, that, you know, it's kind of like Jesus is just walking along and it's like, just see somebody's like, hey, you, follow me. Okay. And they just kind of run off and follow. And you're like, wow, that's crazy. I mean, he had authority, but it wasn't in that sense that he operated. He actually, John's gospel tells us that it was about a year previous that he'd already met with Simon and Andrew. In fact, Simon and Andrew uh, were disciples of John the Baptist. And so they'd been following John the Baptist. And, and then they see Jesus, and he's like, behold, the Lamb of God. Uh, John the Baptist does, and they're like, oh. And they, they actually begin to basically follow the ministry of Jesus. So this wasn't their first time meeting with Jesus, but this was the first time that Jesus called them to follow him. That's what we need to understand here. And how do they respond to his call? What, what's Mark's favorite word here? What do they do? Immediately, immediately they drop their nets, it says, and they followed after him. I mean, I can hardly get my dog to follow me. I definitely don't walk always in the authority of Jesus. But these guys, they, he calls them and they just, they just drop everything and begin to follow. Which is really, if you think about it, is that not the minimum requirement to following Jesus? Drop everything, give everything up and follow him. But I think what's really strange here is think about Jesus, he's going to be a traveling preacher. That's basically what he's going to do. That's what his ministry will be, be doing. And where does he build his team? He's getting, building a team around him, and he starts with fishermen. Do you not find that kind of strange? I find it really strange. I mean, if it were me, if I'm thinking this is my ministry is going to be going out and doing preaching, I'm going to be an itinerant, which means traveling around preaching, I would probably, first of all, my first stop would probably be the seminaries. Right? I'm going to pick some really smart theological people because there's probably going to be some really tough questions that come along that people ask, and I'm going to be like, I, I don't know. I, uh, they can help you. They are the brainiacs about the Bible. So I'd probably start with the seminary. That's where I'd go first, probably. Then I'd probably be thinking something along the lines, you know, like this, this tour that I'm about to embark on is going to be fairly costly. So I'm going to need somebody that's going to, I need somebody with some deep pockets. I need somebody that's got some pretty deep wallets that they can write some big checks to support this and help kind of continue with what we're doing. So probably the second place I would go is finding some sort of Christian business person. I'd, I'd, I'd probably look for Jim Pattison. So I'd go and find. I'd be like, hey, Jimmy, can you come help me out here? So I'd go to a seminary. I'd find some good Christian businessmen. And thirdly, I'd probably even think like, okay, this, this you know, we know from Jesus' ministry that it wasn't always the safest, was it? So I'd probably want some sort of bodyguards. You think about it, you probably need somebody to keep you safe and, and protect you because you're, you, you're going to be speaking, he, he's going to be ruffling some feathers, there's going to be people that aren't going to be totally happy with what he's saying. And so I'd probably try to find some, you know, like Christian crossfitters or something like that, like, 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 I don't, like Dave Longchamps, um, who's usually in our second service, whose arm is like bigger than my whole body. But, you know, like that's kind of, or you know who I'd actually probably go for? Do you remember Jake the Snake? Anyone remember Jake the Snake Roberts? Hulk Hogan? You know Hulk Hogan's even professed the faith in Christ now? These are Christian wrestlers, so this is who I'd find. But Jesus starts, Jesus starts with fishermen. He doesn't go to a seminary. He doesn't find some rich Christian guy. He doesn't find some strong Christian men or women. I won't talk about my wife right now that's strong because she'll get after me. So he just starts with fishermen. He goes straight to the fishermen. Because, you know, here's the thing. Jesus wasn't looking for ability. And I think this is so where I get, honestly, I get very confused. 
He wasn't looking for ability. He was looking for availability. That's what Jesus wanted. He just was, and he still looks for the same. He calls and we just need to follow. That is all that, is all that our responsibility is. I've heard responsibility, the word described this way. It's just simply our response to God's ability. It's not about being able. It's about being available. It's not about being responsible in any way except for going, I'm going to respond to what you are calling me to do. Everything else is up to him. We just have to answer his call and follow. You see, he didn't choose them. He didn't, definitely didn't choose me or you for who we are, but for what he can do through us. That's the bottom line. And he's not done. Look at verse 19. He goes on, it says a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. You know, it's kind of interesting because Simon and his brother Andrew were fishing, but we're told here that James and John, he specifically finds them mending their nets. Kind of interesting. We can't read too much into it, but I do think it's interesting that Simon and Andrew became fishers of men, and I kind of wonder, maybe James and John became menders of men. If you think about it, if you, I think it kind of shows a little bit about how God uses us. If you even think about church history, we know that the Apostle Peter became a very fiery evangelist, a fisher of men. Yet if you think about the Apostle John, he was known as, do you know what his title was? The Apostle of Love. That's how he was described. He wrote letters that encouraged the church to build them up. In fact, what was one of his main themes of his letters was always a call to love one another. Isn't that kind of interesting? You see, Jesus calls both fishers of men, but he also calls menders of men. I really like what Sandy Adams says about this passage. He says, Jesus took their natural occupation and gave it spiritual significance. If you like to fish, I'll let you fish for men. This is how he calls us. He redeems our ordinary ambitions. If you play music or you're athletic or good at business, he'll employ your interests and redirect them in ways that bring him glory. Like to sing, you can sing his praises. Isn't that the truth? All we have to do is answer his call to follow and he will take whatever you're passionate about and he can transform it and use it for his glory to build his kingdom. Just follow him. The rest is up to him. Well, fourth now, we see Jesus' authority over teachers. Verse 21 and actually following what we're gonna see this, this morning, um, the verse that we'll finish on, uh, verse 34, I think it is. It, um, it actually is one day in the life of Jesus. It's a packed day we're gonna see. Verse 21 begins, and they went into Capernaum, which Capernaum actually became the headquarters of Jesus' ministry. And it says, immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. You see, it's interesting, the scribes, there's this, they recognize something different about this Jesus than what their scribes. The synagogues it was kind of like, like this small church meeting place. So they had the temple, but then cities would have synagogues where there was, I think, I think you had to have like, was it 12 Jews or something like that? And then you could form a synagogue. And anybody was welcome to teach in the synagogues. And so Jesus, were told, would teach there. But the scribes, the people that would, you know, write out the law of Moses, they were often the teachers in the synagogue. And those that were present, they recognized there's something different. They actually say that there's an authority to this Jesus. There's something different about the way that he teaches. And we actually know from, from Jewish historians that how the scribes would teach is they would teach very much by saying, like, they would quote other people. So they would read a passage of Scripture, and then they would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this about this, and Rabbi so-and-so says this, and Rabbi you know, so-and-so says this. And then if you ask them a question, well, what, what does it mean? And they'd be like, well, Rabbi so-and-so said, right? And there was nothing in themselves. They just quoted other people, talked about what other people said about the Word. They had no authority in themselves. Well, Jesus, on the other hand, we know because of his teaching in the other Gospels, 
He taught with authority. He didn't, in, in fact, how did he teach? He would actually say this. He says, you have heard it said, right? And then what would he say? But I tell you. There was an authority within himself that he taught with. He taught with authority. He, first of all, because he knew what he was talking about, right? He knew exactly what he was talking about. So it wasn't, which is important. If you're ever teaching, you should probably know what you're talking about. So it's not like, you know, it's like, yeah, like when David led the Israelites out of Egypt. Oh, wait, was that David? Oh, no, that was Joseph. No, so when Joseph, no, was it? You know what I mean? So he obviously knew what he was talking about, which helps always. But not only that, I think he knew what he was talking about because, well, he would use the word of God because he is the word of God. It's kind of an unfair advantage, let's be honest. I mean, he's the living word. But he taught with an authority. I think, though, it also helps us to understand we can teach with authority when we teach with God's word. We can. You see, if it's my opinions, if it's my thoughts, if it's my theories or speculations, even if it's someone else's, you honestly just take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. But if it's God's word, there is power and there's authority in itself. And when you use God's word, there is power. There's authority behind his word. God will be behind his word. We recently talked about this back in September. I won't go into great detail, but that there is power, literal power in this book. Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11 tells us this. It says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. He's saying, you know what, just as you see the rain and everything else fall and it, it produces the life and seeds and new life begins to grow up, he says, it's sent to do that purpose. He says, just the same way, my word, my word when it goes forth will accomplish, that's a promise you can take to the bank, will accomplish all that was set, the purpose that it was sent to do. There is literal power and authority in the word of God. In fact, God, God actually spoke through the prophet Jeremiah um, to warn the false prophets. He's, he was warning them, tell the false prophets, stop, stop telling their lies and their dreams. But in the same passage, he, re, he encourages the true prophets to speak boldly the word of God. Jeremiah 23 says this in verse 27 to 29. It says, by telling these false dreams, talking about the false prophets, they're trying to get my people to forget me, just as their ancestors did by worshiping the idols of Baal. Let these false prophets tell their dreams but let my true messengers faithfully proclaim my every word. There is a difference between straw and grain. Does not my word burn like fire, says the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? What is the picture there? There's power behind his word. There's authority behind his word. And when we know God's word, when we stick to God's word, you'll have an authority behind you too in all that you do. Well, finally we see this that Jesus has authority over troubles and trials. So this is the same day. He started off in the synagogue, and then we read this, verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Listen, if, if a demon says the right things... Jesus teaches us here, just don't listen to it. He's saying the right things, is he not? He is. But what does he do? He just shuts it up. <laughs> don't listen. Don't listen. Verse 26 goes on. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? 
a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So they recognize, again, this authority that he has. You see, exorcists, people that would exorcise or cast out demons, weren't actually uncommon in Jesus' day. They were, they were actually quite common. Um, so what Jesus did wasn't necessarily extraordinary, or new, I should say. It was extraordinary because it actually worked. It didn't really work with the others. What was extraordinary was how Jesus did it. You see, they had all kinds of elaborate ceremonies and ways that they would cast out a demon. Um, they would take like the roots of a plant and they would apply it to the special ring and then they would take that ring and they'd wave it under. We know this from history that they would wave it under the nose of, of the person and, and then they would, it would be like it would suck the demon out and weird stuff like this. They had these crazy speculations, this hocus pocus kind of superstitious stuff that I'm sure the demons just laughed at, obviously. And, and what was Jesus' trick or his ceremony to cast out the demon? What does he do? just tells it to shut up and get out, basically. That's all he does. Why? Because he has all authority. He has the total and final authority. It's all in him. We need to know this, that today, you know what, there is nobody that needs to feel oppressed by demons. We do not. You may be here and you may feel under attack from time to time from the demonic realm. You do not need to feel harassed or attacked. Make no mistake, Satan has power. There is a real devil. There is real demons, but we do not need to fear. You know, often we have this idea kind of of like a hierarchy of power where we kind of would say, you know, God obviously would be at the top. If God's not at the top, then he's not God, (laughs) obviously, right? He needs to be at the very top, all powerful. There can be nothing more powerful than God. That's what would obviously define him as God. So we'd put God at the top and then oftentimes we kind of go, well, the demonic realm, there's power, there's real power there. And so we kind of put God at the top and we put Satan underneath God. And then we'd say, you know, and then, and then underneath there, I'd probably say, you know, like, I'm not as strong as Satan, so it'd probably be like myself. Christians would kind of be next. And then maybe unbelievers or, or the rest of kind of creation in the world. But that's not what Scripture teaches us. That's not what Scripture tells us. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, if we all agree that Jesus, God, is the highest above all, right? We would all agree that, I hope. And then he tells us here, where are we seated? Where are we placed? We are seated with Christ. Do you know what that says? Do you know what that teaches us? We have authority over Satan. We have dominion over Satan. We have authority. If we are seated with Christ, who is above Satan, we are seated and rule above Satan. We have authority over the powers of darkness, We do not need to fear the demonic. We we aren't to trifle with it, not to play with it, of course, but we do not need to fear it. Look at the result now of the display of this power and authority that Jesus exercises here. Verse 28, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So you see this in the the synagogue, this this demon cast out, the preaching and the teaching with authority, and all of a sudden news is getting out. There's a new sheriff in town. It's basically what's going on. And immediately he left the synagogue Verse 29, and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Well, this is pretty great because the disciples just don't, don't go to the synagogue with Jesus. What do they do? They bring Jesus home with them. Isn't that, a, that's, I think, a great picture for all of us. It's probably a question we all need to kind of ask ourselves. Do we just leave Jesus at church sometimes? Or do we bring him with us wherever we go? But not only that, look at what they do when there's trouble. What did verse 30 say? At the very end of verse 30, Simon's mother-in-law has a fever, and what do they do? What do they do? Read it there, the end of verse 30. They told Jesus. They immediately told Jesus about the problem. 
and I wonder how, how different would things be in our lives if we took the same practice <laughs> and just simply told Jesus about the issues that are going on in our life. It doesn't guarantee that he'll fix it or that he'll remove it, but we're placing it in his hands now. We're letting go of control. You know, I shared um, last year in January, I've, I've, I, I've told you a number of times how much it's impacted my life, but we did that book, The How to Pray Book, that breaks down the acronym of the word pray, P-R-A-Y. P is just simply pausing. R is is reflecting and rejoicing. Kind of like what Connor did this morning, reading a, a scripture passage and then reflecting on it, and then we rejoiced. And then the A, what's A? Ask. And what's Y? Yield. So P-R-A-Y. And it's, it's been incredible for me in my life the, the, the implementing this acronym into my morning times, just kind of reshaping a little bit of my morning time. One of the most powerful things for me is the P part of pray, the pausing. And, and because pausing simply takes time to recognize that God is God and I am not. It puts things into perspective, another P word, right? You get a perspective that God's in control here. And so every day now, I start my day by going into my office. It doesn't matter how busy or what's going on in the day. I will start my day by doing this. I need to just take some time and I just focus on Jesus. And I just say, Jesus, you know, you're God, I'm not. And I breathe deep. And I breathe out the stuff that's troubling me. I, I quote a number of scriptures first. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your worries and cares on him because he cares for you. And then I usually quote, uh, I, just, I just say it in my mind or my heart, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I quote those scriptures, and then I just, I just go, Jesus, I need you. And, I, and then I've learned this from an app that I had called the Pause app that just simply has a prayer that just says, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. And then I do, whatever comes to mind. And then the next part is just, I give everyone and everything to you, God. And whatever is burdening and weighing me down, I just release it to God. And I say, because you're God and I'm not, I give him my troubles, I give him my trials. It's helped my life in so many ways, it's unbelievable. My sleep has gotten better. My, my, my day, my, the stress in my life has gotten way more diminished because I'm giving it to God. It's what they do here. They give it to him because Jesus has all the authority. They let it go. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 promises us this, that you can experience the very peace of God. Right? It says, don't be anxious about anything, but what are we supposed to do instead? Pray. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and then what does it say? The peace of God, the very peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has all authority. It's kind of like the old hymn, um, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And what does it say? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It says it so simply. James 4.2 puts it even simpler. You don't have because you don't ask. You don't have because you don't ask. We just need to ask the Lord, bring it to the Lord. And here the problem is what? They bring this problem, their trouble, to Jesus. It's a fever. Mother-in-law has a fever, and some might think that the only prescription is more cowbell, but it's not. It's not. The Jewish Talmud actually had a kind of a superstitious method as well. Jewish Talmud is just simply the Jews' interpretation of the law, of how they kind of would apply the law. They had this other superstitious kind of method of, of how they would cure fevers. 
And they say you take an iron knife and then you would tie a braid of hair to this thorn bush and then you would read three scriptures from Exodus. I read about it. It was weird. Like Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. And then on the second day, you would read verse 5 and 6, I think. And then on the third day, you'd read Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. So it would be this three-day process with this hair, braid of hair tied. All this weird stuff. And then you would have this formula that you kind of pronounce, this kind of abracadabra and voila, the fear is supposed to be gone. Three days. I mean, probably what happened is the person died right? Before it ever, you know, it's like, oh, they died. I didn't have time to finish the thing. The formula wasn't ready yet. It takes three days. Or they just got better because a three-day fever is pretty serious, and usually it breaks, you know, after a couple days. So weird, weird stuff. Jesus doesn't need to wait three days. He doesn't need to hope in some sort of superstition. Look at verse 31. They say, mother-in-law's got, she's sick. She's got a fever. What does Jesus do? He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That's it. He just touches her, takes her by the hand. That's all he has to do. Why? Again, because he has all authority. That's all he has to do. He's got all authority and she's healed. But his day still isn't done. Started in the synagogue in the morning. Now look at verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Bottom line is this, diseases, demons, it makes no difference. All of it is under the authority of Jesus. And all we have to do, I love the picture here, they brought, did you see that? They just brought all these people to him. That's all we have to do. Bring these needs, bring whether it's ourselves or others, just be a vessel that God can work through. You know, it's incredible. These, these first 34 verses of chapter one in the gospel of Mark, it, it, it takes eight full chapters in, in Matthew's gospel to accomplish what we just went through in 34 verses. So he talks about the forerunner for Jesus. He talks about his baptism, his temptation, his preaching, his call of his first four disciples, the exercising of a demon, the healing of a sick mother-in-law, a multitude of other healings and exercising of demons. Eight chapters in Matthew's gospel takes 34 verses in Mark's gospel. He doesn't even finish chapter one. He's already done. And, and this is what we talked about last week. Mark just gets to the point. And he wants us to see here Jesus as the servant of God. Again, this key theme through the gospel of Mark. Jesus as the servant of God. But this morning, what he's wanting us to see is more than just a servant of God. He's a servant of God with all the authority of God. That's what he's getting at here. He is the servant of God with the authority of God. And he still has that authority today. Right here, right now. And I want to challenge you this morning. Don't question his authority. Let it be real in your life today. And I just, I want to close. I want to bring us to Jesus this morning because it's all that I can do. I want to bring us to Jesus. If you're bound in sin, if you're unable to resist temptation, submit yourself to Christ's authority. If you're needing a new king, a new kingdom to come under, come under his authority. If you need a new purpose, a new calling in life, listen for his call, answer his call, bring yourself under his authority. If you're harassed by demonic influences, if you need freedom, Jesus is here to give you freedom because he has all authority. If you're sick, if you're diseased, Jesus has the authority to heal. I just want to ask you, what is your need today? Because Jesus has all the authority. Jesus is bigger than whatever need you have. As the team comes back to close us off with a song this morning, I want to invite you this morning to present whatever need it is before the Lord, to submit yourself to Christ's authority 
in your life this morning. Maybe it's family that's your need. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's sickness or worries of some sort. I want to invite you to come. You know, we, however we, we feel this morning that we need to do this, whether you need to join me up front, we months ago introduced what we call carpet time, just time to just intentionally spend with the Lord, to lay these things down at his feet. If you want to come and just seek the Lord in prayer and say, God, I want to submit these things to your authority. I want to submit my life to you. I would invite you to come. If you want to take time at your seats and just kneel in prayer, whatever it would be, but let us use this time to say once again, God, I recognize, Jesus, that you are the authority in my life. Can we even just pray right now as we just prepare our hearts? Lord, you are the authority. You have the final say. Lord, whatever it is, is not too difficult for you. It's not too great for you. It's not too much for you to handle. So Jesus, this morning, maybe it's, maybe it's family members that burdens us and weighs us down that causes us to lose sleep at night. Maybe it's finances. Lord, we want to just say right now, Lord, this is my trouble. This is my trouble and I present it to you because you are bigger. You are greater. So even now, Lord, I pray that you would lead us to remember that you are God and that we are not. And God, the things, the burdens that we carry that we're not meant to carry. I pray that you would help us just to right now, maybe even just picture just letting them go, just giving them to you, Jesus. Just as I begin my morning time every day, Lord, I pray that prayer right now. I lead us all just to say, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. What do you need to let go of today? What do you need to allow the authority of Jesus to rule and reign over in your life today? We give it to you, Lord. We give it to you, Jesus. sure you don't even need to think long or hard about what it is that's bringing worry and concern to your life. What it is that's causing you maybe not to sleep at night. That's what you need to just give to him. Say, Jesus, take it. Take it. I can't, I can't handle it. I can't do it. But I'm not supposed to either. You invite me to give it to you to let you be the one that worries about it. I don't have to. You never call us to worry. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.